Thanks, Rupin. Well, good evening and welcome back to our series Explaining Easter. We've been taking a closer look at some of the characters mentioned in the Gospel accounts of the cross and resurrection. This is our penultimate talk in our series, and tonight we're going to be considering the man Nicodemus as we read of him in John's Gospel. Some characters in our series that we've, uh, that we've considered so far have responded negatively to Jesus. Think of Caiaphas and Pilate. But others have responded positively, believing in him and becoming devoted followers. One of the things that has struck me about those that did accept Jesus is just how different they all are. Tonight's subject, Nicodemus, for example, his background could not be more different than that of the thief on the cross that Ben considered last week. And this got me wondering how thrilling it must have been to be able to attend one of those early church meetings in Jerusalem. Despite their different backgrounds, each of those early believers could testify to their own personal journey of faith in Jesus. Each testimony would have shone light on a different facet of the Lord's character, building a fuller and more compelling picture of Jesus as the Son of God. If you were one of those early church, at one of those early church meetings, you may have heard the testimony of Nicodemus. Nicodemus's testimony would likely have been unique because he's the only Pharisee that we read of in the four Gospels who openly believed and became a follower in Jesus. In fact, Nicodemus and the Apostle Paul are the only Pharisees that we know of who trusted in him. Nicodemus's journey to faith is recorded for us in John's Gospel, and only John's Gospel, where he's mentioned on three separate occasions. This evening, we're going to go through and consider each of these separate instances in turn before concluding why the Gospel writer John seen it necessary to record this Pharisee's journey to faith. We first read of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, so let's read John 3, 1 to 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. 
If I have told you earthly things, you would not believe, and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Pharisees and Sadducees were the two religious sects within Judaism who made up the ruling class in Israel at this time. The 70 men who made up the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin were almost all Pharisees and Sadducees. Whereas the Sadducees were more wealthy and politically minded, often compromising with secular leaders in exchange for power, the Pharisees' main focus was religion. They sought righteousness through the law. They were so fastidious in their religion that they added to the law of Moses by making up their own rules to make themselves appear more righteous. Rules like not being able to look in a mirror on the Sabbath day for fear that you might see a grey hair in your beard and be tempted to pluck it out. If you were a common Jew living in Jerusalem, you would have held them in pretty high esteem. Their commitment to the law led them to resist secular influence. So most Jews would have considered them to be the righteous defenders of the Jewish religion. During his ministry, however, Jesus's harshest criticisms were directed towards the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, his seven woes to the Pharisees are blistering. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? That's what Jesus said about the Pharisees and their religion. Now, Nicodemus was a teacher of the law, and he was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. In fact, Jesus calls him the teacher of the Jews, the principal of the college, very much part of the establishment, and no doubt a man of considerable influence in Jerusalem at the time. Nicodemus had reached the very pinnacle of religious endeavor. He'd got to the very top of his tree. So Nicodemus came to Jesus one night under the cover of darkness. Made curious by the miracles he was performing or by the authority of his teaching, Nicodemus refers to Jesus as rabbi, teacher, a term of respect suggesting that he considered him to be at least his equal or perhaps a prophet. He says, 
We know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. But Jesus, looking at Nicodemus, sees past the outward persona through the titles and his platitudes. In his omnipotence and with compassion, he sees Nicodemus's heart and understands his need, knowing exactly why he has come and what it is that he really wants to ask. He sees a man who has reached the very pinnacle of religious endeavor, who has gone above and beyond in his obedience to the law in an attempt to gain or earn God's favor, but a man who secretly was filled with doubt and anxiety that his works hadn't justified him before God. A Pharisee who very much believed in heaven and hell, who knew that he wasn't yet in the kingdom of God that Jesus was teaching of. Jesus also seen a man who was scared that anybody would find out about his doubts and insecurities in case he lost people's respect or indeed his career. Why else did he come under the cover of darkness? And so Jesus, knowing this, answers Nicodemus, even though he hasn't yet asked him a question. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, clearly, utterly confused, says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can I enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see, Nicodemus may have been alive to religion, but he was dead to God. He spent so much time focusing on the law that he couldn't see the God that was behind the law. He knew that God had a covenant with the nation of Israel, but he had no concept of having a personal relationship with God. So confident in his own righteousness under the law, he wouldn't have seen much need for repentance, let alone to be born again. The Lord Jesus says he must be born again. Anathen, a Greek term which can mean both born again or born from above. He says he must be born again, must be born above to be in the kingdom of God. Justification by works might be your plan for salvation, Nicodemus, Jesus says, but it's not God's plan. Salvation is God's initiative. You can't earn it. Everything you've done or achieved up until now, it doesn't count. You must be born from above and start again. If you're listening to this and you think that because of your faithfulness to go into church or because you give money to charity or because you're generally a good person that you can please God and gain his favor. Well, could I gently ask you the question, if Nicodemus with all his credentials could not work his way into the kingdom of heaven or even see it, what hope do you have?
or I. Jesus then goes on to explain God's plan for salvation to the clearly bewildered Pharisee. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Nicodemus would have known the reference well. When the nation of Israel had sinned in the desert, they were subjected to a plague of venomous snakes. But God provided a cure by instructing Moses to put a bronze symbol of a snake on the end of a pole and raise it up in the air. The individuals who had been bitten and were dying from the deadly venom only needed to look at the bronze symbol of the snake to be cured. That's all they needed to do. All they needed to do was look at the snake and they would be saved. Here, Jesus foretelling of his own death, he says, just as the son of man is lifted up. Whoever looks and believes in him will be saved. Now, there's no response from Nicodemus during this first encounter with the Lord Jesus. He came to Jesus in darkness, and it seems he left in darkness. Jesus had answered the question that was on his heart, however, and he'd explained what he must do to enter God's kingdom. He also planted a seed in Nicodemus's mind that would later help persuade him that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. The second time that we come across Nicodemus, he's in the company of his fellow Pharisees and Jewish leaders. The context of this scene is that there is increasing division among the people about who Jesus was. Despite many controversial exchanges with the Jewish leaders at the Festival of Tabernacles, there was increasing belief among the people that Jesus was either a prophet or indeed the Messiah. Threatened by this new groundswell of belief in Jesus, the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to have him arrested. So let's read John chapter 7, verses 45 to 52. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does the law judge a man without, giving, without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Peer pressure. We've all experienced peer pressure. Even here in little Northern Ireland, one way to become quickly unpopular is by admitting that you agree with the Bible's view on a certain topic that runs contrary to popular opinion. In the tea room at work, when the topic of gay marriage or abortion comes up, have you ever found yourself staring at the floor and hoping that no one asks your opinion on it? Even saying nothing or failing to affirm other people's non-biblical worldviews can attract scorn. 
the time in my own life that I felt peer, peer pressure the most intensely was as a teenager. That time in your life when you transition from accepting what your parents say to be true and looking for their approval to making your own choices and looking for the approval of your peers. I lost count of the number of times that I failed to speak up and be loyal for the Lord Jesus as a teenager or since. Scared to be singled out, scared of what my friends would think of me. But it can require real courage to be a professing Christian these days, can't it? I'm just grateful that the Lord's faithfulness to me has never changed over the years, despite my lack of being loyal to him. And we don't know exactly where Nicodemus was on his journey to faith during this incident in chapter 7. He likely, he's likely still processing or wrestling with all that Jesus had told him, but he does speak up for him. The Pharisees are clearly furious at the temple guards for failing to arrest Jesus, and they mock them. They sneer with the question, have any of us rulers or Pharisees believed in him? At this point, Nicodemus speaks up in Jesus' defense and asks the legitimate question, is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing? Deuteronomy 1 and 16 and 17 would tell us that the answer to that question is no. However, not amused with Nicodemus, the other leaders mock and browbeat him for not towing the party line. The scorn that Nicodemus received for saying a word in Jesus' defense must have made him realize that he couldn't serve two masters. He would need to count the cost of becoming a follower of Jesus. Perhaps for the first time, however, Nicodemus was beginning to see the self, selfish motives of the men that he thought that he knew, the self-aggrandizing social order which gave them their authority and their complete disregard for justice. That being said, one verbal scuffle with his fellow Pharisees does not prove that Nicodemus had accepted Jesus as the Messiah or was willing to lose the respect of his peers in order to follow him. The third and final time that we hear of Nicodemus is in chapter 19 at the foot of Jesus' cross. Let's read John 19, 38 to 42. After the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with the, with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, 
They laid Jesus there. The Jewish leaders, in collaboration with the Roman authorities, had succeeded in finally silencing Jesus, subjecting him to the most excruciating and humiliating death imaginable. Now, I don't know if Nicodemus was privy to the clandestine meetings with the Roman authorities or the political wrangling that it took to get Jesus arrested. But he was likely there when Pilate asked, shall I crucify your king? And his fellow leaders shouted back, we have no king but Caesar. And he doubtless would have been there when the Lord Jesus was raised up on that Roman cross. At that moment, I suspect that Nicodemus would have remembered the words of the Savior. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Maybe it was at that moment that Nicodemus turned his back on his old life and trusting in Jesus as the Son of God was born again. For in this passage, we see Nicodemus along with Joseph, this time in broad daylight and in full view of the people at the cross of Jesus. We see him literally embracing the Lord's crushed body as he removes it from the cross and prepares it for burial. Handling a dead body like this would have resulted in Nicodemus being ceremonially unclean and unable to take part in the Passover that was the next day. The spices that Nicodemus brought to the cross to prepare Jesus's body for burial was an extraordinary amount. 75 Roman pounds would have been enough to bury 100 people and cost the equivalent of about 100,000 pounds. A burial fit for a king and an extravagance that would not have gone unnoticed by the Jewish leaders. The other Pharisees would have viewed Nicodemus's actions as an act of public defiance. Outraged, you can imagine how they must have taunted and threatened him. But Nicodemus no longer cared what they thought of him. For him, this was a clear-eyed act of devotion and loyalty to his new Lord and Savior. Nicodemus had been set free free from the ter tyranny of empty religion, trying to obtain his own righteousness through keeping the law. And he had also been set free from the fear of what people thought of him and the need to be accepted by his peers. In closing, I mentioned earlier that the only other Pharisee that we read of in the scriptures who accepted Jesus was the Apostle Paul. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have been Paul's teacher. But in Acts 5, we read that the teacher of the Jews in Paul's time was a man called Gamaliel. This suggests that Nicodemus almost certainly lost his job and was ousted by his fellow Pharisees. Now, this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 about becoming a follower of Jesus. These are the words of Paul, but they could so easily 
be the words of Nicodemus. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a prosecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That would have been the testimony of Nicodemus as well as Paul. A Pharisee who, when he first came to Jesus, was alive to religion, but was dead to God. A man who secretly believed Jesus, but was too scared to openly put his trust in him. But at the cross, when he seen the Son of Man lifted up, he simply believed and was saved. Turning his back on his old life, he stepped into the light and was born again. Maybe you're like Nicodemus and think you can earn God's favour through commitment to your religion. Or maybe you aren't religious at all and have been put off trusting Jesus because of religious hypocrites like the Pharisees. Well, Jesus says that you both must be born again. And you can be by putting your faith in him and in him alone. Let's just close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the story of Nicodemus and for his testimony. A man who once put his faith in his own works, in his own righteousness. But when he encountered Jesus and he experienced the hypocrisy of his friends, realized that that was all rubbish, as Paul would say, compared to the glory of knowing Christ. We just pray, Lord, that uh, somebody maybe listening to this now would realize that and put their faith in him. And we pray, Lord, that for us that do know you, that we would not slip back into thinking that we can earn your favor, but trust solely in Jesus and what he achieved for us at the cross. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.